Hello and welcome to The 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And this week we're discussing Sergei Leone's Once Upon a Time in America, his 1984 gangster epic and i think epic is very much the word for it i think Uh, so yeah even even like even before you realize how long it is it has the sense of an epic yeah and then it just keeps going my personal favorite moment was when the intermission arrived and andrew was like what the hell is this um now to be fair the intermission does arrive quite late in the day but it's... it was it was it, it wasn't much it, it wasn't much sucker um because um i was like what um and darren was like oh no it's all right there's only another hour and eight minutes to go yeah and and that made andrew feel much much better um but yes so certainly the only headline it's long it is a very very long movie and do you want to know there are several versions of the movie that exist is this the longest no (laughs) okay um i like that andrew would was very much considering reaching across the podcast and choking me if it was it is not the shortest. The shortest version is exactly two hours and two minutes long. That was the version that was released in cinemas by Warner Brothers. It was cut down from Sergio Leone's original submitted runtime of about six hours. It is incomprehensible. Um, it makes absolutely no sense. It tells the entire story in a linear fashion to the point where Robert De Niro doesn't appear in the film until an hour into its two-hour runtime. It is a disaster by all accounts. It garnered very poor reviews when it opened. It's the reason that the film was largely sort of forgotten and had to be rediscovered years and decades later when it was eventually the European or international cut, which is the version that we watched, circulated, which is three hours and 46 minutes. It's almost double the runtime. But, because I love you, Andrew, I didn't make you sit through the recently remastered four hours and nine minutes cut of the film, uh, which was the one that premiered, I think, at Cannes in 2012. The uh, production was funded by Gucci, uh, it was overseen by Martin Scorsese, and they incorporated several sequences into it to extend it further. It gets even better. There is a longer version of the movie, which is uh, four hours and 20 minutes, which was uh, those nine minutes were lost due to rights issues. However, that is not even the version that Sergio Leone wanted to release. Sergio Leone originally wanted to release a five hour and 20 minute cut of it. So yeah. In the, in the theatres. In the theatres. So yeah, the Once Upon a Time in America is a very long movie, but Once not... Upon a Long Time. <laughs> Once Upon a Very Long Time in America. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating film. Andrew, had you seen this it before? It is a fascinating film. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to have lots to talk about. Lots and lots to talk about. Um what's that that saying that the the a good 250 episode is roughly as long as the uh, <laughs> the movie that it's covering? I don't think we'll quite hit that, but I suspect no. we'll have a lot to say. I think for 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 <laughs> for re- Reasons of energy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will give everything we have to to our to our dear listeners. The 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 like we don't understand. Well, I don't understand um, the 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 appeal of this to you. But we we like we imagine that what you want is a really long podcast to help so, you lull yourself to sleep. It's, so so we'll do our best. Yeah. Because if you didn't want a really long podcast, you why would you play listen when to you us? Saw the runtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're like that. Was it Sar- uh, was um, Andrei Tarkovsky who's like past boredom there's a special <laughs> point of interest and we often aim to hit that special often, point of interest yeah i found from listening that past boredom there is occasionally a <laughs> special uh, 
uh, portion of interest. Um, but it's yeah, like it takes us about an hour and a half to, to really well, sorry, get going. No, it takes me an hour and a half. <laughs> Dar- 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 Darren comes in hot. But yeah, no, I, my particular favorite one is um, yeah, we've we've had past episodes where I've been editing it, and it's been a bit of a slag, and, and then like we hit the two a hour. It's been, sorry, it's been a bit, sorry, a bit of a slog. Uh, wrong, wrong vowel in there. Uh, but yeah, it, it uh, yeah, well, t- that that's the two hour mark. Yeah, hits the two hour mark and just sort of gets going. It's very, very strange because there's no way I can edit the previous two hours out of the podcast, uh, despite my best efforts there's to do no so. There's no way anyone is listening past that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, we'll try not to make that one of those. But so Once Upon a Time in America, Andrew, had you seen Once Upon a Time in America before? I had not seen Once Upon a Time in America, had you? I had, actually. This is one of the things that's kind of interesting. I... We talk about, like, movies as being, like, formative experiences and, like, movies that you see in particular ways, sometimes the way that you see it sort of sticks with you. And this is, like, Once Upon a Time America is an interesting film, uh, and we'll talk about that a great deal, but how I saw it is, is kind of engraved in my memory because I remember, I think we talked about this when we were talking about The Secret in Their Eyes, how back in the old days... Before you had like 900 channels, you would have these, you'd have a set number of stations and these stations would have like a set number of movies in rotation. And you'd very rarely get certain films shown on them for various reasons. So, for example, you wouldn't see a movie like The Secrets in Their Eyes because it was in Spanish. So they'd have to air it late at night. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't see a movie like Once Upon a Time in America on there either. But again, that's probably as much down to length as anything else. But, and, and I guess other reasons. Uh, yes, like, other reasons which we'll probably talk about as well this later isn't on. This isn't a radio-friendly unit shifter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a mass audience appealing movie in any way, shape or form. I mean, in some ways it is. But um, I, I, like, I guess we'll, 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 we'll get to that. I mean, there, there's, this is a Sergio Leone... Um, gangster film yeah with with robert de niro is a music by ennio morricone yeah it's Um, very much it should be an exciting film and actually this is what drew me to it because when i was in secretary school i've talked about this on the on the podcast before and this is this is like darren's exciting like secondary school years this is when darren was a teenager and cutting loose i got a television in my so long ago yeah uh, you know i'm still a young buck but I, I got a television in my bedroom and I promised my... Best day of your life. Yeah, it was very exciting. It opened up a whole new world to me and I promised my parents I'd be respectful of it. I wouldn't, you know, use... Wouldn't stay up all night watching television. Certainly wouldn't watch anything inappropriate. And obviously the first night I was there I watched Ringu, the Japanese horror on Channel 4 until 2am in the morning and didn't sleep a wink that night. But one of the things that I, I I know Andrew's like this is Darren's version of rebellion. I never but, had a I never had a telly in my room. I I once live in a rented um, accommodation for a year where there was a television in a room, and sometimes instead of going to college, <laughs> I would watch television, which is bad. <laughs> I hear I hear like daytime television is very relaxing, almost in like a zen like way. I've heard lots of people say that just turning the television on at like eleven o'clock in the morning, catching Jeremy Kyle or talk shows or like Columbo is very zen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. But uh, yeah, so I discovered like what one of our stations here, which is is now Warty Two and was Network Two at the time, would do, and I, I'd like to think this was sort of intentional. But every August, uh, on the last Thursday in August, they would start a movie at midnight. 
that would run for about four to six hours. So uh, one year they did Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet in its full uncut glory, which is an astounding piece of cinema and one of my favourite Shakespeare adaptations ever. Um, it's also a bit butt-numbing because it is the full text of Hamlet performed uh, in a cinematic style with Kenneth Branagh playing Hamlet but also directing. It's it's absolutely beautiful. I wholeheartedly recommend it. I think another year they did Decacalog. Uh, Decacalog? Deca- the catalogue? The, um, the film... Decacalog? De- or the catalog. The catalog. The ca- okay, but anyway, they they did uh, yes the the Ten Commandments basically. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And then uh, one year they did Once Upon a Time in America, and I had not heard of this film because I was at the time I think I was about fourteen years old. I like I was it's the a right bit, time to see this movie. Probably maybe a little younger. But we, we, we can talk about that in a moment. But yeah, I because I remember I was reading the TV guide because TV guide was something that existed back then. You had the RT guide, and it was like <gasps> Once Upon a Time in America. Okay, that's it. That's a, that's <laughs> that's the sound that Darren makes when we pull a Christopher Nolan movie out of the two fifty <laughs> machine. But yeah, it's like oh, it's 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 Once Upon a Time in America. That's like Once Upon a Time in the West. Okay, I'm in on that. Oh, it's it's a Sergio Leone movie I haven't seen. Oh, I loved uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Once Upon a Time in the West for a few dollars more, fistful of dollars. I'm in on that. <gasps> it stars Robert De Niro. I love Robert De Niro. Okay, I'm st- James I, I, Woods is in this. I, I wonder does he cra- play a crazy person? Yeah. Um. And and you know, Ennio Morricone's providing the soundtrack. Oh, and it's it's a gangster epic. It's a gangster epic from that guy who did like uh, who did all those great westerns. And it's like four hours long, five hours with commercials. I'm like, this This feels like a movie that's made for me. And because, like, anybody who was around during, like, the early 2000s will know, like, when you had a VHS, you couldn't record a five-hour TV program on a VHS overnight. So the only sane thing to do was to sit up in my bed from midnight to 5 a.m. watching Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. And it's one of my treasured childhood cinematic experiences and memories it's like one of those great it was one of the moments that i really felt like i was somebody who loves cinema because i would do this to myself yeah uh, in order to watch a movie and it's kind of disappointing that like my takeaway watching the movie that time uh, and not to get too spoilery but it's very similar to the takeaway i've had every time i've watched it since is this is a gloriously beautiful deeply moving wonderfully constructed movie that's also incredibly scuzzy um it's i i've always felt really uncomfortable watching it and i felt it's a hard watch it's a very hard watch and i felt particularly it's weird that like i felt uncomfortable when i was 14 years old watching it and i'm like 14 year old me wasn't particularly sensitive like he was like give me my my terrible horror movies and whatever but there's a particular kind of don't had a Horrid life. <laughs> yeah. I grew up on the streets. I yeah. always have the stink of the streets with me, no, Andrew. I think never... a, a little bit like me, Darren. In the, I, I don't think you talk about it as much, but I, I, I had a very idyllic home life yeah. and a really yes, <laughs> life at school. Um, I think uh, you, you often take take the um, the attitude that no school was great. Yeah, secondary school was uh, fantastic. <laughs> Okay. It's the dramatic pause that really sells it there. <laughs> but yeah, 
yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, I would, I would expect, I would agree with that to a certain extent. Secondary school was not perfect. So, like this Sergio Leone movie isn't going to kind of upset you or any more than, than school <laughs> than school should, uh, particularly because this aired no, in late August I mean, before sorry, we go back to school. Per, yeah, per, perhaps I'm being a bit glib. This is a properly um, upsetting, yes, um, uh, uh, unpleasant uh, watch and something. Yeah, and what's interesting. about about it is that it's always cast a bit of a shadow for me because I, I absolutely I want to be clear before we talk about the movie I adore Leone I think Leone is one of the best filmmakers who's, who's ever worked in the medium The Good, The Bad and The Ugly was the movie that I watched at about nine years old that convinced me that westerns were a genre worth watching and that's just because I was you know an idiotic nine-year-old but it was like watching those movies was one of the points where I went oh my god this is like cinema is more than just telling a story it's how you tell a story it's the angles that you use it's the way in which you frame these things it's like the beats and rhythms that you use in stitching a scene together like Sergio Leone was one of those directors who made me acutely aware of that and I absolutely adore his his big three westerns and once upon a time in the west and even duck you suckers or once upon a time in the revolution the one that he made before this. duck you suckers yeah this is the the one that's uh, a fistful of dynamite it's, it's also known as it has a variety oh, of different I, names. i've heard of um a fistful of dynamite all right yeah. yeah it was it was that was one that was sort of um shimmied around it's a bit. called duck you suckers yeah it was also known in france as once upon a time oh, in the revolution as in duck you suckers yeah Duck, comma, you suckers. An instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Or an imperative. Why, what did sounded, you think? That sounded just like... What did you think? Of? I, maybe it was the way you said it. It was like, duck, you suckers. Duck, <laughs> yeah. you suckers. Oh, okay. As if duck, you was one word. What? What's a duck, you, and why are we sucking it? Duck... <laughs> I don't know why you're sucking it. But I yeah. Is this something we're doing? I don't know. But yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about it. Because this was the first time that you saw it. So what was, I'm curious, what was your reaction to Once Upon a Time in America? It is, it is a tremendous movie. It's, it's a very, it's a very strange movie. I mean, we've spoken about how it's very long. It's, it, it's, it's, it's very, um upsetting it's very moving it it challenged me a lot i i kind of still haven't like this is after just having watched the movie for the first time and it's still kind of going around in my head to still try and figure out uh, what i think of this movie it's a good thing that i'll be talking for a little while about it maybe i'll figure that out as we go but yeah it's it's an astounding piece of cinema it was famously the tune in to listen to me figure (laughs) out what i think about this movie in real time well let's just before we before we go into the sports and before we ask the big three questions it's worth reflecting on like the enormity of the film and not just as measured in minutes of the runtime when leone uh made his as we discussed his previous five big films so uh, fistful of dollars a few dollars more the good the bad and the ugly once upon a time in the west and a fistful of dynamite he made those five films over the space of seven years which is a relatively like it's a very good body of work and it's a very good like consistent rate of work right it took him 11 years to get this movie made It took him 11 years from the time that he came up with the idea and he sort of figured out what he wanted to do. 
to actually getting it sort of on screen. It went through a number of iterations, a number of cast combinations, a variety of different stories and ideas driving it. Um, it, it went for, like, for example, he originally wanted to cast, I think, Robert Redford and Paul Newman in the lead roles. He wanted to cast, I think, like, Edward G. Robinson as, like... It's a very white movie. <laughs> yeah, in that case. But, yeah, it would be, a, particularly given that it's about the Jewish mob, it would be a very, very different difficult sell. He wanted to do, cast Richard Dreyfus. He went very much in the extreme opposite direction and wanted to cast Richard Dreyfus at Woody, one point. Woody Allen? Yeah, that w- I would love to see Woody Allen's Once Upon a Time in America. But yeah, and eventually what happened is he latched on to uh, Robert De Niro around 1980. Well, the price of it would be too... No, sorry, never mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and he ended up like with the Jewish mob played by a number of Irish and Italian-American actors. Yeah. But it, it, he basically... This is a movie that... And it will surprise nobody who's actually seen the movie to hear that it is a movie that existed orally. If we were to recast this with Jewish actors, um, how this would how, be a challenge. I think Dreyfus would is Dustin probably Dustin Hoffman be in it. I I feel I I feel like it would be strange having have having Richard Dreyfus in it. Yeah, well, Dreyfus was originally um, considered for the role of Max. He was going to be the James Woods character, uh, but he turned it down. He said that I he didn't feel he, he had the maturity. That. Yeah, he felt he didn't have the sort of like maturity to play that role well the, the, there's a very james woods quality <laughs> that isn't really a richard dreyfus quality yeah and max plays very much yeah to that sensibility. we're looking for more of a james woods kind of <laughs> well why don't we cast a james woods but uh yeah it was it was it existed before it existed as a script like elizabeth mcgovern who plays the the lead role of deborah or one of the lead roles of deborah in this she talks about how when she first auditioned there wasn't a script but what she did was she visited Sergio Leone in his apartment in New York and he narrated the film to her shot for shot. Um, it went through several different writers who tried to get it written. Norman Mailer uh, took a crack at the script and he couldn't do it. Sergio Leone threw it out as absolute rubbish. Um, it, it sort of, it struggled. He there's want- a lot of, um, there's a lot of credits on the screenplay, yeah. including Sergio Leone. There's around six. This is quite well written. I, I I mean there 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 are some great lines in in, in 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 this movie I found. I've I've always You don't think so? I've always found it a better directed movie than a sort of a, a scripted movie. I found it like I found that the dialogue like the comparison with this is always this cuz but like the 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 dialogue, but you think about some of the lines. Like oh, yeah. there there is there there is a, a, a lot of the lines with a lot of kind of um import and yeah. profundity yeah yeah no it is and i mean it's got that sort of it's got a sort of a philosophical that's what i mean by well 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 written okay like, um there and 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 yes and yet there when when people are saying these things they seem true coming out of their mouths you know like like it doesn't seem contrived that somebody would say something like that i think that's the best writing when somebody is saying something quite deep but it's it's in um, normal speech. Interesting, because I I would have very much the the opposite approach to this. I I would I think it's it's very well told visually, but I find that there are a lot of moments in it where characters like when characters are talking to one another rather than when they're looking at one another is the moment where it feels least convincing to me like it's Leone and his actors are very good at capturing glances and expressions and communicating non-verbally but I find that when characters are actually expressing themselves like through dialogue to one another where they're explaining their motivations or they're explaining what drives them those oh those lines 
they 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 work functionally in that they explain what a character is feeling at that moment in time, but they don't feel like they belong in that scenario. Um, like there are a couple of examples. Like for example, there's the scene where, and again, I'm not going to get we, too, yeah. too spoilery, but I mean, there's there's a a bit of dialogue where uh, you know, this is a movie, by the way, that that that's um, there there's there's a big spoiler in this movie. I feel like I recognize that. Very early, yes. But um, yeah, there, there, there is a big spoiler in there. Okay, but we anyway, we won't, we won't get too specific before we get to the spoiler zone. So I guess the the questions to ask are the the big three, which is like, uh, do you think it belongs on the top two hundred fifty movies of all time? Would it be on your own personal two fifty? And would you recommend that people watch it? So what what are your answers to those? I know you're still working through how you feel about the film. Yeah, so it's a bit of a so it's a bit I, of a bum deal for me to throw <laughs> this at you. No, but that's uh, that's uh, that's the deal. Um, <laughs> that's that, how we roll. That's, those are the hand those are the hands the, those are the cards we're dealt yeah. in this life, Darren. <laughs> um, so um I would not disagree with it being on the 250. I don't think I could put this in my top 250 because it would be a very subjective list and and this this is um this movie's this movie's a bit of a bummer. I mean, it's great if you want to maybe feel bad about about the world, other people um, and yourself. And, and and yourself. Yeah, if you've any kind of like anxieties at all that you want to cuz like there are a lot of bad people in this movie. And then it, may, it makes you think about, like, have, uh, I'm not as bad as these people. But I'm probably but I, still pretty bad. I've probably done bad things. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think now of the last bad thing <laughs> that I've done that I feel guilty about. Yeah. And, and then it's like, um, yeah, let, um, maybe maybe I'll spend the next day thinking about this <laughs> now. Sort of ruminating yeah. on things. But so, like, it's not really an, an ideal movie. And would I recommend it? I I would I if somebody asked me like should I see this movie I would say kind of be very careful about whether you want to see this movie whether you're in the mood for this movie yeah, whether you're yeah, in the right yeah. place psychologically for this movie have 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 you been have, have I have a form for you to fill out yeah yes. have you had a lot of drinks recently <laughs> like um could you are could you, you possibly pro- be slightly hung over <laughs> yeah. um, are you in a sort of a grim mindset how are you feeling yeah. about yourself Has and it, other people yeah have you suffered any trauma recently <laughs> okay. um, um yeah i i interesting enough i'd agree with your first two answers i don't think this belongs on the 250 i think this is the weakest of sergio leone's well, i mean I, w- I would recommend it to people based on quality oh, of, yeah, yeah. of of movie but i'd be careful about you know yeah, I, I would I would certainly recommend it. I mean, I again, I, I feel like I'm probably going to be quite harsh on this. I think it's beautiful. I think it's stunning. I think it's worth watching. I think it's a deeply, deeply, deeply flawed masterpiece. I think it's an ambitious, incredible piece of work. It's absolutely beautiful. One of the best things that you can say about Once Upon a Time in America is that it is, it flows. It's three hours and 49 minutes or 46 minutes long in the extended European cut. And it doesn't actually feel that long or it didn't feel that long to me it sort of it flows and, and we'll probably come back to talking about this in the sports zone but mean. it moves like a dream yeah it, uh, but at the same time throughout like from the first five minutes the the epicness of yeah. of, of of it was was very apparent yeah the pace is Cause, a bit relaxed because and... it shows you that it's going to be a lifetime yeah 
rather um, than a, a sort of a concentrated sequence of events. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, I like, I actually, and this is the thing, I, because I love you, Andrew, we <laughs> watched the version that is the extended cut. We didn't watch the super extended cut. I watched the super extended cut myself on Thursday night because I wanted to see it before talking. Is it longer? It is longer. Is it wider? uh, It is not one. Deeper? Um, Yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about that as well when we get into the spoiler zone, I suspect. But yeah, it's... um, So I've watched this movie twice in the space of 48 hours, right? And that amounts to like eight of those 48 hours, just to be clear. Sorry, you've you've watched this movie twice? Yep, in the past 48 hours. Because I because I love you. you. (laughs) These are the questions. Thank you, Netflix's Twitter account. Uh, But yeah, I because well, I wanted to like. I am probably not going to watch this again for a very, very, very long time. And this is the first time I watched in years. And this is the first time I'd had an excuse to watch it since the extended remastered cut was released. So I wanted to see what was in the additional 40 minutes and I wanted to go back and to reprocess it. So, and I wanted to get a sense of like whether those scenes added it. And you know, I wanted to get a sense of like, if I sat you down to watch this today, which version of the movie were we going to watch? And to do that, I I sort of, I, I, I fell on my sword, like the young and the brave amongst us. And I, I sort of, I watched the extended cut and then today I watched the, the regular cut. And it, it says something that like, I've watched this movie twice in 48 hours. And even the second time, it still moved relatively quickly. Like the, you, I timed certain beats in it this evening where I timed how long it took before the first flashback to childhood or the first proper flashback to childhood. It's 37 minutes before they go back to childhood. Uh, then I'm, I ta- I'm going to ask you a, oh, a, 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 a timing question at, okay. at some point. No, I'm not asking you to refrain. Okay. Um, and, and then I timed how long it took Sorry. before we got like a full scene with James Woods because you see him in flashes at certain points before then. That was an hour and 37 minutes. And watching it, it doesn't feel like it's 37 minutes before we go back to his childhood. It doesn't feel like it's 97 minutes or the length of a Woody Allen comedy before James Woods shows up. Yeah. It, it kind of flows in a way that's incredibly impressive for a movie of this heft. And so I absolutely 110% would recommend watching it. It is, it is a dream of cinema. It's absolutely beautiful. The compositions are striking. And in fact, like what astounds me when I go back and watch it is that I... I don't remember the lines or the dialogue. I don't even remember the, the particulars of plot. Certain plot elements almost surprised me when I rewatched it on Thursday. But what I there did... are surprising plot elements. Yeah. But what I, I did remember... I think are, you could remember them and they'd still uh, be surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I did remember was the visuals and the images. I remembered particular scenes there's, and particular there's, shots. There's some very painterly shots yeah. in, in, in this movie. And they're not from the places where I would have expected to have remembered them as well. Uh, there were scenes, and it's it's like people sitting in an office. It was one of the ones where it's like, I remember exactly this sequence where they're just sitting in an office. Uh, but it's beautiful. And there's It's a-, a beautiful, beautiful movie. It, it, like, it, it looks fantastic. It absolutely does. And I mean, this is why I feel kind of bad when I answer the other two questions. I don't think it necessarily belongs on the 250 yeah in terms of there would be five other leone sorry four other leone films at the very least that i would rank ahead of it because i think that they're more complete films i think that they're they like they cohere better than this does would you would you put sucker duck 
on uh, no i no i wouldn't um i would not put sucker duck um duck sucker yeah um i would not actually um that's i think that's sucker i think that's also it's like a black exploitation movie <laughs> it really does well it has like rod steiger as a mexican if i remember correctly but yeah i would uh like I, I also really like that one. I think it also has issues. Can I be a Mexican in an old movie? I'm like, like Charl- can, Charlton can Heston gets away with Yeah, be a Mexican now. <laughs> yeah, not now. No, definitely not now, not Andrew. Now, yeah. No, no, then. You can be a Mexican then, but not now. Oh, shucks. Yeah, I know. It's it's terrible. The white man is the real oppressed person here, Andrew. <laughs> well, well, there's no, nothing left for the white man. <laughs> to appropriate. What a horrible world that we live in. Yeah. But I, I also... I have some. We're ish- both the oppressor and the patriarchy at the same time. But I, I also have some like legitimate issues with the film, and that I think the film showcases Leone's weakest attributes in some way, and that I feel like, and again, this is some coming from somebody who thinks that he revolutionized cinema is one of the best directors who ever worked, who adores his films. But I think that there are certain things that Leone does well. I like and- it when you. <laughs> because because you know that there's something coming at the end yeah. of that clause. Um, but as much as I adore those, there's also a sense that Leone is... As much a, as you adore those films. Yeah. Um, there's a sense that, like, certain directors have blind spots and, and weaknesses. We've talked, for example, about Nolan's fascination with dead wives. You know, Michael Mann is another example of a director who sometimes struggles to write female perspectives. I think he does a good job you know, writing them as, as side characters, but they do very much end up drawn into the, the orbit of his male characters. I think that Once Upon a Time in America kind of showcases some of Leone's weaknesses as a storyteller and some of the things that he's not as good at as other aspects and that his westerns, and I don't want to say disguise because that sounds condescending, it makes it seem like, you know, those incredible four western films that he did were some sort of trickery that he only managed to pull because he didn't have to do particular things. But I feel like there are aspects of Once Upon a Time in America that play to his weaknesses more than they play to his strengths. And and that sort of, that makes me a little uncomfortable uh, with it as well. So it wouldn't be on my 250 either. But I mean, we'll probably talk a bit more about this when we get to the spoiler zone. Yeah. All right, let's go. Oh, okay, let's jump. Spoiler zone. So, Andrew. Yes, Darren. What is Once Upon a Time in America about for you? Once Upon a Time 
in America. Well, we're seriously trying to hit that five hour and 45 minute runtime. <laughs> there will be a full minute of Andrew stirring coffee later on in the podcast. For- <laughs> Which I adore, by the way. That, like, uh, again, like we should talk about this. The we film, should. the film has a very epic quality. And I think when you point out, like early on in the first five minutes, it makes it clear that it's going to be an epic. There's a five-minute sequence where a phone rings. There's yes. a minute later. And in by the-, the way, like never do that in a movie. <laughs> and, uh, um, it would be even worse in a podcast. Yeah, it would be completely unforgivable in a podcast. But yeah, um, it's if it went on for like two or three minutes, especially. <laughs> yeah, it would be really, really frustrating. But like it happens throughout. <laughs> Leone holds these sequences to the point where they, like they run the risk of turning into parody. Like there's the moment where Noodles shows up, makes a cup of coffee, and stirs it for a minute. There's a moment cling, where um, cling, 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 cling. There's a moment where like and, cling, and it's cling, great cling, 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 cling. because it's clearly yeah. it's not even it's not even like Leone's camera that's doing it. It's like Leone's film exists in an alternate universe where everybody is allowed to hold silence as the law court. There's a moment where Jimmy, the like non-Jimmy Hoffa character the union boss is on television and he's being interviewed and giving a statement to the press and he delivers the line look if any guilt at all exists in this situation it lies elsewhere and he stares into the news television this is on like a six they don't cut straight back to the the, studio in the world of the movie (laughs) everything lasts longer than it needs to yeah so you just get this shot of Treat Williams staring into the news camera and the news editor going I like it. This is good television. And we joke, but it's, it works really well because it's got this wonderful sort of intensity to it. But yeah. anyway, Andrew, what is what is Once Upon a Time in America about for you? I feel like, um, I, I always say this, and it's a cop-out, it's about a number of things, but I think the thing that was about strongest for me is it seemed to be a kind of a point about the cards that one has dealt um, in, in, in life. And the... Um, stories we have um, in life and the amount of choice we have over those stories and there, 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 there's a kind of a line in, 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 in this movie about you, you, can, you can pick the, the winners from, from the beginning you from are, the you, starter gate yeah you always know um, where they're going to finish I, um, I, never, I, I, I never would have bet on you um, I always would have bet on you um, I and could have certainly have bet on her. Yeah. yeah, and there's there's a lot of that as well. I mean, there's a, one the point in the movie where they swap a bunch of babies round in in like a, yeah. a maternity ward, and you know James Woods' it's a baby swapping scene. Yeah. And Max's response is to be, well, you know, some of them will will get very lucky, and some of them will get screwed up the ass. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a there's there there's a lot of um, uh. People saying, "Hey, we're going to get screwed up the ass." Hey, you guys are going to get screwed up the ass. Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about the screwing of various other people in various parts of their anatomy. There's, uh, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, but yeah, when you talk about like the hand that you're dealt and fate and love and chance and and the stories that we tell, we're not uh, going to talk about that later. Oh, we are way. going to talk about that later. I have okay. a whole big section ready. Oh, really? On that. oh yeah, you really? <laughs> You've got a big screw in the ass section. You, you, uh, you, uh, yeah. So, so what's on <laughs> America is about anal sex. No, I, I actually have, I actually have very strong, I have some very strong feelings about what the film is about. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. For yeah. you, though. I mean, it's it's about history, um, and I suppose well, uh, memory. Th- I would argue, yeah, more than history. Yeah, well, that, that 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 that's kind of like what I mean. It's it, it like 
a history is is a kind of a memory that you write, you know. Yeah. Like like um and there is in the end of this movie a a a a a moment where um a truth is revealed to one of the characters and his reaction is I I I prefer the story yeah. that I had. Yeah. Where uh, my, where his story was that he um betrayed he, his best friend. He betrayed his, his best friend so um to save his best friend's life, but his 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 uh, f- friend friend ended up dying. As compared to the reality that his friend betrayed him. Yeah. And he would rather believe that he He'd rather believe that things ended badly for both of them. Yeah. By the way, it was very clear. Very early on. Extremely clear early on. Who Senator Bailey was or who Secretary Bailey was. No, but even before we knew that there was a Senator Bailey. Or Secretary Bailey. Yeah, it was who was manipulating what was going on. Yeah. Like, I think um, you, you know a little bit about the timings of the movie. When he goes to the mausoleum... I feel like it might have been before that, but it was around that point that I was like, "Oh yeah, Max is alive." I think I wrote <laughs> it down. Max Maximilian is never dead. died. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, it was when, yeah, when the the, the the three names were written in in the mausoleum. It was like it says Maximilian, Philip, um, and uh, uh, sorry, it was Philip Philip Stein, uh, Patrick Goldberg. So I wrote down their names. And I wrote next to Maximilian, never died, just so I would remember which one he was. Yeah. James Woods is the answer to that question. Yeah, he's like looking at the two of them. It's like, oh, there's my friend. He's dead. Oh, there's my other friend. He's dead. I'm not sure who that is, but there's a tag around him. Yeah. Yeah, he's com- entirely unrecognizable. Yeah, it's very, very clear what's going on. And it is like, even if you haven't, even if you haven't seen the movie or even if you're not paying particular attention, it seems very unlikely that like James Woods has completely disappeared from the picture with, you know, with William Forsyth, like, and, um, and the actor who played Patrick, actually, Patsy, who has a very sad story. Um, he, the, the actor who played uh, Patrick, and this is one of the reasons, like, the film apparently suffered um, a great deal um, during its production cycle in that, like, Leone didn't always get to shoot what he wanted to shoot or whatever. Um, and, like, there were a number of problems behind the scenes. But the actor who played uh, Patrick, which is James Hayden as an adult, he died of a heroin overdose um, late in the movies, either after the movie had wrapped initial production before post-production had begun or very late in the shoot while Leone was going through difficulties, depending on who you ask involved. He was starring in a version of American Buffalo with Al Pacino um, at that time as well. Um, so it's, it's very, very sad what happened. Um, okay, well, yes. it, uh, like we think of this movie being being a bummer and and and, and then there's Darren actual like yeah there's actual like biographical facts about the, the well i mean uh, uh production that, that yeah well the uh, sorry that's, um, yeah that, that's that, that's more kind of more of, of a, a downer yeah yeah and i mean um james woods uh, and various other people have argued that like leone died of a heart attack shortly after the film, the film went through its horrible release cycle. Like, and, and we'll probably talk a little bit about its production and it, it's like it, the disaster that was its release. He originally wanted to make it for $7 million, I think, at Universal. Universal balked at the figure of $7 million. He was offered the chance to direct... A few dollars uh, more? Yeah, he was offered to direct uh, The Godfather um, at Paramount, uh, apparently, but he turned that down to work on this project. 
Um, he eventually landed a budget from the Lad Company and Warner Brothers of $30 million to make the movie, which is an exorbitant amount of money at the time. What he did was he filmed about 10 hours worth of footage. Um, and, and that was the version that he was relatively happy with. However, he went to Warner Brothers and the Lad Company and he said to them, look... How about, I realize you're never going to release a proper, like, seven-hour movie in cinemas. How about you let me cut two three-and-a-half-hour films, and you can release them as part one and part two? And Warner Brothers and the Lad Company were like, no. Um, in particular, the Lad Company at this time had just released The Right Stuff, which had also failed financially at the box office. So they were very, very eager to make a profit on a Sergio Leone movie. Um, they got in the assistant editor on Police Academy to trim it down to one hour, to trim it down to two hours and two minutes, uh, where they cut absolutely everything from the film mercilessly. Roger Ebert has talked about how he saw the two-hour cut of the film. And first of all, several things about it. Sergio Leone, uh, sorry, no, Ennio Marconi is incorrectly credited on the two-hour cut so that he wasn't actually eligible for an Oscar that year for his work on the score. Second of all, Louise Fletcher uh, is credited as an actor in that cut of the film. Louise Fletcher doesn't even appear in the version of the film that we watched. Um, third of all, uh, and this is the one that sort of uh, that Roger Ebert talks about when he talks about the cut having complete contempt for the audience. At the end of the film, at the moment where um, Noodles has the conversation with Max in his study, in the version of the film that we watch, Max explains that there's a button that opens up a secret tunnel that leads out into That's the garden. Weird choice. Yes, yeah, so that he can escape, right? In the two-hour and two-minute cut, they cut the sequence of, of Max explaining the button, having deemed that to be extenuous. So the conversation between Noodles and Max ends inexplicably for the audience, with Max pushing the wall open, sorry, Noodles pushing the wall open and just leaving through the wall. Um, it's, it's, it's apparently a staggering. <laughs> Noodles opens up a bust of Shakespeare, presses a button, and, a, a series of and there's no explanation to the audience. No, not, not of, even why that's there. No, why that, <laughs> that prop secret door is there. And how Noodles could possibly know about but it. But just, uh, just for the benefit, they played a little kind of... Do, 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 do. <laughs> to preserve the mystery as, about Noodles as, he as a was character. Leaving. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, so Leone was <laughs> Leone was so devastated by what they did to his film, he described it as a crime. People like Martin Scorsese were horrified by it. Film critics like uh, Pauline Kael, who'd seen the original cut, were all, described what was done to it as an act of cinematic vandalism. Leone himself apparently retreated uh, from public life and he died of a heart attack several years later. And according to Woods, uh, who worked with him very closely on the film, obviously, he described Leone as having died of a broken heart as a result of what happened to this film. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a happy film, even when you think about what happened outside of the film. Yeah. No, it's not a very happy film. Sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, re I'm really raining. Why on. did you... No, like, it's not your fault. It's the film. But why did you... <laughs> I, 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 I believe it was randomly selected. Yes. Um, uh, you believe well, that it was randomly selected, yes. It, no, it was. <laughs> I, 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 I recall it. I think yeah. it was Jay. Yeah. Um, Who but, pushed the button, but yeah. Yeah. Why, Jay? Why? Why would you do this? Just, he why did apologize. Want, why do you want us to stop? <laughs> He did apologize for it, I believe. But yeah, it's it's an interesting film. But what you're talking about there in terms of like memory and in terms of like sadness and in terms of regret and the stories that we want to tell, 
One of the things that I absolutely adore about Once Upon a Time in America, and this is one of the things where the internet has made everything overly literal, where, like, one of the arguments or theories that you hear about the film is that the entire movie is Noodles having, like, an opium, like, den hallucination, where he's remembering what happened and imagining what will happen in the future. Either way, yeah. those opium dens look great. <laughs> Best thing about the film. Doesn't that, doesn't, like, I've been thinking for such a long time, why isn't there somewhere in town where you can just go fall asleep for a little bit? Like, take off your shoes. Lie on a bed and be fanned. Yeah, I like the personal assistant that you get as well, apparently. And, like, I I believe opium is amazing. You can see the smile on on his face. Like, kids, kids don't try it. Don't. It's it's too good. You don't want to mess with that stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> there are absolutely no side effects. But yeah, the the opium then, like the opium. Oh, den- there's no. Actually, Darren, there's lots of side effects. There, <laughs> there's like uh, um, there's there's overdoses. Yes. Um. No, there are are horrible, horrible side effects. Yes, I was being sarcastic, Andrew. Um. But yeah, the I know, Darren. Th- thank you. Um. Uh, but yeah, the the thing is, like, there's. Certain theorists or people, critics of the film, have argued that the entire movie is Noodle's uh, opium-driven hallucination. And, like, I feel like that's an overly literal reading of the film, but I feel like thematically it's very much what what Leone's doing. That's it, exactly. Because none of the movie makes any real sense if you think about it. Like, if you think about the mechanics of what's involved. Like, how in the name of goodness... Did Max fake his death, reintroduce himself as Secretary Bailey, somehow never have his photo taken or shown in public, um, and and various other things while setting himself up as a perfectly respectable figure, while also having a history in, you know, in New York as a Jewish gangster? There's a whole host of other things around that that sort of lend an air. There's this recur... There are recurring (laughs) moments... There is the moment... Which was a Jimmy O'Connor just staring at, <laughs> at the, the camera. camera. Yeah. Um, and there is the whole thing about Noodles and Mo being in a bar and Mo being like, I don't know, Noodles. I think you should take the money. Hey, what's this <laughs> happening on the television? Yeah. And uh, it's like, oh, do you think this could be something to do with that mysterious package that you have? <laughs> this is a very different movie in, in <laughs> inside. Like, like the movie is big enough to accommodate several different, different movies. Readings, yeah. <laughs> it is some very strange movies. Right? And, and, and like, like after... Um, after after Senator Bailey, who, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This yeah. is like a crazy kind of aspect of the plot. Yeah. Is 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 and and Somehow, I mean, like, where did and, he get and, a sure, body that he should? It, yeah, but like like it has its own reasons. Like there were the, the so what happened was there were the two of them and whatever muscle they they had that night. No, but yeah. it, it appears like it was just the three of them. Three of them went along, and then it got out at some point. It's like. Let's um let's get out of the car at, at 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 this point. I've got a guy who's a very good driver. He's a burn victim, but he drives a mean getaway car. Um, so he he's going to be going for the next. Uh, He'll just I'll meet you at the other end of the street here. It's okay, like, bake it away, toys. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's, uh, um, it's something to something to behold, like to work through the logic of how this works. There's a moment. There's 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 a lot of crazy bits to this movie. There's 
there's the, the, the like like I was watching and thinking this this is not normal. Like there there's bits in it. There's a lot of bits in it, like the helicopter scene in Godfather Three. Yeah. <laughs> like where you have to wonder how the mechanics of this work behind the scenes. Yeah, but there there was Bailey comes out. He walks to the to the front. Of, oh, yeah, of the, his, his closing estate. scene, yes. A, 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 a garbage like a Mack truck. truck yeah. With, yeah, a garbage truck drive, um, which is parked there. He kind of walks towards it and then it takes off <laughs> and then he kind of slinks onto it. Does um, he? Or into it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is very much the dream logic of the film where it's like Bailey is quite literally garbage, so he gets disposed of in a garbage truck, apparently. Um, but I mean, there's there's a lot of that in there. Like there's moments where like the final confrontation between like Max and, and Noodles, they have this conversation where Noodles has like, I took away your whole life from you. I've been living in your place. I took everything. I took your money. I took your girl. All I left for you was 35 years of grief over having killed me. And it's almost as if, like, he's a sh- like a Jungian shadow of Noodles. He's Like, if you're watching the movie, you could honestly believe that he's an opium-driven hallucination of Noodles who feels really crappy that his attempt to get Max arrested uh, sort of backfired horribly. And is like, well, maybe if I imagine a future where, like, all of a sudden it turned out he betrayed me... Um, and he was like my shadow self. He was like the version of me that went on and was like super criminal. Um, then somehow this would be better because I would get closure by refusing to like revenge myself upon him for what I feel guilty of in the first place. There's a this lot of like, there's a lot of sort shadow of... alter ego James Woods criminal person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he's, does it not? You, you didn't get a sense of that. Um, like a sense that like Sen- Senator Shadow James was criminal person. <laughs> yeah, you you didn't get a sort of a sense that that almost Senator like, Shadow Alter Ego yeah. James was criminal person. Yeah, but a sense that like Bailey, Matt, that Bailey is almost like this thing that like that that um, that Noodles has constructed in his head, this elaborate fantasy that allows him to feel not crappy about having got his best friend murdered. It's like, well, look. If 30, like 35 years from now, I discover that he faked his own death and made me live in exile and then asked me to kill him, but I didn't do it because I'd rather believe that I killed him, then I'd feel cool with having killed him. Yeah, the, there's a weird kind of a thing. It's like, um, I took your girl. Like, which yeah. which is a strange sort of a thing. It, it's like, it's against the bro code to see somebody who your friend has raped. Yeah. We'll talk about this. This is a very strange um, movie. This, this, this this is like, like there, there, the relationship between noodles Noodles and Debra is like from the beginning it's very clear that Noodles is not a good guy, like even yes. as a child. Yes, very clear. Well, he's introduced setting a news vendor alight and spying on a girl getting changed uh, in what she believes is her private. Yeah. yeah, but like even like you can you can almost excuse a child for kind of being a 
um, uh, a pervert because children are like you know they're sexually curious and those sorts of things they will try to kind of catch a peek of 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 of, of these sorts of things um and there's even uh, you even you even excuse the the sort of way in which like um she m- might even realize that he can see her yeah and there's a sense to which like she might be on on one level putting on a bit of a show yeah but then there's the it, it becomes apparent that 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 like it's not just that he's a bit of a creep, which is maybe kind of um, uh, f- forgivable for or kid. yeah. But like the way he talks about it, like his yeah. his friends come over to uh, uh, to him and uh, and he's like, oh, she's gonna get it. Like no, if if she if, if she keeps if talking to me she, like that, I'm gonna have to give her what she's asking for. Or something yeah, like that, which is like a which really is horrible such a line. aggressive. Like well, I mean, it sets up very clearly what happens in of, the line. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And but but like from the very beginning, you're and it's weird because Robert De Niro, like I feel like it must have been very uncomfortable for Robert De Niro to 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 play that scene because the way the way, like he 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 starts kissing her and and I say, God, he's he's he's. Yeah, you literally said to me, "That's awful screen kissing." Yeah, that's awful. That's awful screen kissing. And Darren, who has seen the movie, has said, "I think that's intentional." Um, and it was harrowing. Yeah. Um, and it's a weird sort of a um place for an audience because the audience is watching it and they're thinking, like, "What is the filmmaker?" sort of um doing like he it seems like at he's at this at the same time making you feel sorry for deborah and making you feel sorry for noodles, uh, noodles. and and then you show noodles like kind of like holding his head um afterwards you see him kind of like going to the, the opium station. den well, and the, well, you the see him going to, to the train station to bid her farewell to, and like, uh, like and he's a true psychopath Oh yeah, he, like, they, this this is this is someone he's 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 right ju- he's yeah. he's right and like it's an incredibly brutal scene it's harrowing it's like it it goes past the it point goes, where it arguably needs to go and it's keeps a, going it, it's, it's another example of this movie um, going like uh, further than 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 a a a a a, a shorter movie would it's 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 um, painfully drawn out let's talk about this because this is the thing when i talked earlier about this revealing some of leone's weaknesses uh, and some of the things that i don't think he's particularly good at i was talking in particular about how he approaches female characters right because leone's movies his westerns are very much male driven the exception being once upon a time in the west which has the Claudia Cardinelli character, um, who was largely written by uh, Berticelli, I think, as well. He worked on the screenplay, but he sort of fleshed her out and developed her a great deal for Leone. This is a very masculine movie. This is uh, this a is... very toxically masculine movie as well. Um... But it's also the Leone movie with the most female characters, and it's also the one with the most focus on the female characters. And the focus isn't always particularly nuanced or appealing so let's before we talk about deborah let's talk about carol right carol is she works in a jeweler's she's 
at one stage married to uh, an actuary in an, in an insurance firm. Uh, early Who's in the f- Eve. What? Who's Eve? Oh no, there isn't an Eve. There isn't an Eve, I think. There is not. Oh an no, Eve. there is, there is an Eve. The Eve is the girl that um, that uh, Noodles ends up with. Remember the one she gets? She's the very first victim, I believe. Okay. Because um, yeah, by the way, the movie starts. Yeah. With a brutal murder and then a torture. Yeah. And. Yeah. And then uh, somebody getting their head blown off. Yeah. It sets out its stall. Very, very early on. But there's an element of, like, I don't want to, like, I'm hesitant to use the term gratuitous sexual violence. Because I think that, like, most of the time I give filmmakers and storytellers credit when they're using sexual violence that they know what they're doing. So, for example, I, um, while I'm sensitive to complaints about, say, Game of Thrones, I also think that, like, if you're telling the story that you're telling in Game of Thrones, it's necessary to depict acts of sexual violence. Just as, like, an inevitable consequence of the world in which these characters exist. What do you think about Straw Dogs? Yeah, Straw Dogs I have a bit of an issue with. And it's a bit of an issue, and it ties back into this, which is the notion of a woman enjoying sexual assault in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, because they seem to play that... Well, they certainly don't play that in the scene with Deborah. No, but they do. at all. But um, but, but they're 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 they they do in the um, extended in, in, arc with Carol. Yeah, in 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 the scene with Carol, they definitely do, and there is a sense in which like she she enjoys being raped, she enjoys being beaten around. Yeah, uh, and and that she's this kind like, of like crazy kind of. Well, she's the um, whore to Deborah's Madonna, um, is, yeah. is the way that it works. And I mean, it's not exactly subtle. What happens is Carol is introduced uh, in a sequence where they rob a jeweler's, having, you know, they've had a conversation about her earlier where she slept with Frank's brother, but she's introduced as a character in the scene where they're robbing the jeweler, where Noodles takes her into the back room and sexually assaults her. And like, first of all, she's introduced saying, hit me, hit me, hit me. And it's very clear that it's, it's a sort of a sexual vicarious thrill for her in some it's way. A, it's a real... Um... Like, I was watching the movie. There are large parts of this movie that seem like um, uh, toxic male fantasies. Yes. Like, the 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 idea as well of, of these kind of, like, rich, powerful um, uh, men who, who are, who are irresistible to, 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 to women. Yeah. Too. And women who enjoy and, and being treated as yeah. well, and women who enjoy it's being like, treated in a way that demeans them, or that you know sort you, of plays into those. Yeah. Fantasies. So if if you want one of these women, you have to kind of you um you have to take them. They're they'll 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 be turned protest, turn, but then they'll yeah, they'll and that around. they'll be uh, t- uh turned on by like violence and by by all, all, also like money. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so Carol basically is is raped, and it's a really uncomfortable scene where, you know, you hear the sound of the rape taking place off screen as the robbery happens, right? Then, later on, about an hour later into the film, she's reintroduced with blonde hair, and I think that you were surprised that they recognised her, that Cockeye recognised her. But they yeah. call her into the back office of the brothel, where she's confronted with, like, the man who raped her. And it's um, paid and her, for laughs. That's as it well. exactly. The film, like, like the her the, first response is to suggest first, group sex. The first response, the first, like, well, I suppose in 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 the movie, kind of, um, we're we're to understand that she's not well and that she is genuinely enjoying it. But that's kind of like playing into that fantasy about yeah. It. 
Which the, it, the, yeah, and yeah, it, the, that this is a woman who wants to be raped, which is deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of that with sort of, uh, and there's all of this kind of like um, wisecracking when she's in the room as well. Like, like, well, well, for first of all, at the end of it, he says, "Are you coming?" And he said, "I've, I've, I've, I've come. come." Yeah, yeah, um, and and then when, when. When she comes in, they all kind of like put on their their napkins ar- 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 around their faces, and it's it's meant to be um, like a joke. And they ask her to yeah. recognize them based on, yeah. on the cock, based on the penis. So they pull out, they reach into their pants, they zip, they zip down, and, and she fails to recognize. She yeah, went, she she points at Max, and Noodle says, "I suppose um, we've been hanging out long enough that, that we get to look to like each other." Yeah. And the movie very much plays that as a comedy, which and her is, response which is, is just which is a, a funny sort of a line, and, and but, yeah, and, just but, not but, in the context. It, yeah, and and it's really awkward. I mean, even when you talk about Deborah, right? Deborah's assault is absolutely brutal and horrific, but the movie at the same time seems to have like a weird emotional attachment to Noodles, where like after the driver pulls over and like gets Noodles out of the car, you get Noodles wandering, looking sad towards the ocean, as if to say. Poor, poor noodles in this situation. And then Someone... later in the movie, when he's visiting yes. her, like there is no sense in which he apologizes for anything no, that happened. No, he 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 says, "I want to see if you did the right thing, turning me down to become an actress." Well, you did. You were terrific. Turning me down and her to become response, an actress. Her response to that is not, you raped me in the back of a car and I got the hell out of there. Um, her response is... Uh, He's feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. And and she's she's very much indulging that in throughout the scene. There's a moment where he says, like, I want to know whether or not you ever wanted... You, what, I wanted to know what the reaction would be, that you never wanted to see me again. And she's like, I never thought I'd see you again. That's a different thing. It's it's a very weird and messed up like approach to writing women in the film. There's a very like and, and women women are women are men's things in yeah. in in the movie. It's it's kind of over and over again. It's um, well as you pointed out. There's a sequence at the end where Max is like, "I took your girl." Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Max and and Noodles and their relationship to women in in a moment because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But it is worth like McGovern, Elizabeth McGovern, who played Deborah as an adult, has sort of very much renounced the film in that she she doesn't she can't watch it. Uh, she had a deeply unpleasant time shooting it because she found herself caught between De Niro and Leone as like two opposite sort of like power centers in the film and giving directions and what they wanted she felt that the Nero didn't actually want her in the film um at one point but she also felt like she didn't have a consistent grasp on the character because the character only existed as an object she's blatantly a man's she, vision of a woman and she doesn't uh, age yeah well that's it exactly like explicitly in the movie he says age shall not wither her he says quoting the the scene from cleopatra which is another sort of like uh, male uh, fantasy or yeah, suggestion yeah. that it's a dream in some ways is that like in like a woman should stay the same age because presum- how would we be attracted to them otherwise carol is allowed to age or degrade but that's okay because she's a whore whereas on the other hand deborah is like an ideal towards which you know noodles can aspire it's really really creepy there's an extended quote here which i I wouldn't mind reading from mcgovern just talking about the the assault scene because i think it's sort of it's an interesting to get her perspective and i actually thought it was very moving in some ways in some ways i feel as though the entire experience of making the film or maybe that entire period of my life was represented in that scene i was this young person 
incredibly like Deborah, I had a lot of ambition and drive, and I was in a position where I was viewed by the world in a way that had nothing to do with reality, much the same way as Noodles has this image of Deborah. You're being used and you feel used. I suppose many young girls would think of it as the most wonderful thing in the world, to be this hot young movie star that people have sexual or romantic fantasies about. But in fact, you learn very quickly that who you are has nothing to do with what their projection of you is. I look back on that whole period of being an object, being someone else's fantasy, as not very nice. I'm relieved not to be that anymore. I look back on that period of my life and the rape was sort of a metaphor for what it felt like. Which is, is kind of really sad and really harrowing because this like should have been a big breakout role for McGovern. But she sort of faded. She consciously re retreated from the limelight after it because she had such an unpleasant time filming it and an unpleasant time afterwards. Um, and she's come back. She's recently uh, the lead role in Downton Abbey, oh, which is okay. quite reassuring. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a happy ending to that story. But it is, yeah, there's something, the way that the film presents its its female characters like Deborah and Carol is 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 very, very disappointing and, like, very disheartening. Cause it's, I'm not, like, I I almost feel like saying, oh, but it was the 60s. <laughs> it wasn't. It was the mid-80s. mid-80s, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I suppose that that's a long time ago as well. But well, it doesn't really... It doesn't really excuse it at all. Like one shot. There there were a lot of very kind of sensitive movies being made um even like well before this movie. Well, I mean we talked about Paper Moon, for example, as something that was like relatively that feels relatively progressive even today. Yeah, but, uh, like things like um like even Tootsie is cited by some people yeah. kind of as 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 this movie that uh, that kind of like gets across to um Male the, audiences, what, yeah. what the experience is. I mean, it is like, and again, not to excuse it, because this is this is what like this is a huge part of what puts the barrier between me and the film. And even as a fourteen-year-old, it's something that really put me off it because it was, it was, it felt like I was seeing. Because when you see how Leone treats his female characters here, you can go back and you can sort of see is there are elements of that in the other westerns that he's made where he had fewer female characters and so there was less opportunity to explore those sort of themes and ideas. Whereas here, it's very much the forefront. But. I wonder if a large part of that is, and this is absolutely not to excuse it, but I suspect it's down to the fact that Leone isn't making a film that about reality. Like, Leone I, is filtering popular culture. He's filtering, like, pop, like is, pulp. Is there a sense in which the... I think Leone is definitely creating this beautiful, I suppose, object... In 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 Deborah, like she 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 she's this ballet dancer who uh, um who who quotes poetry and can even kind of improvise. She has she has this line. She but quotes from the 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 Talmud, right, where she basically quotes the Book of Psalms, but improvises in order to make it more specific to her feelings towards noodles. And she says, "But but he'll always be a two bit punk." So he'll never be my beloved. What a shame. Yeah. And there's something so charming about her. Like so kind of Im 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 impossibly um charming. Well I mean ab 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 about her. And 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 then to do that to her. 
And this is someone like, well, I suppose they're they're both introduced to us as children. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is the thing about the the film is that if you are being extremely generous, and I think that Leone is attempting it, I don't think he quite earns it. But if you're being generous, you could argue that Deborah and Noodles are two sides of the same coin in terms of like Leone's exploration of the American dream. In that Deborah very much seeks to elevate herself in order to succeed. So she she learns dancing as an art form. She goes to elocution lessons, for example, in order she to learn to French. speak better. She learns French. She reads books. Now, she reads Noodles, all sorts of things. Noodles, when he's young, does read. He reads Jack London, for example, but the only place he can read it is on the toilet because his parents are always arguing. You know, he's he's not able to, to go to school. He's forced to make these choices. You have, like, this wonderful sequence early on where himself and Deborah are, like, on the verge verge of like kissing and they seem like they're about to reach a breakthrough it's that point which she says you know but he'll always be a two-bit you know sort of whatever but it feels like the two of them are on the cusp of a breakthrough and then max shows up and then they get into a fight uh and then he's left bloody and bruised and it becomes clear to deborah that he will never get out of the life that he's in at the moment but like deborah wants to succeed by like through talent, by you know learning French, by learning how to dance, by becoming an actor, by traveling to Hollywood, and sort of becoming this very glitzy vi- vision of what the American dream could be. Whereas on the other hand, Noodles has like embraced the worst side of it, like the the gangster capitalism, the violence, the corruption, the alcohol, the degradation. And- there isn't really much of a distinction between uh, gangsters, the police, politicians. Yeah. Um, the unions, um, they're all kind of in the Messed same... Messed into the same sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that the film's epilogue unfolds in 1968, which is the year that Nixon was elected president. Uh, keeping in mind that the film would originally have been envisaged taking place, like, being made in the mid to late 70s. I feel like the film is very much sort of, like, capturing... Like, there's there's a moment early in the film where James Wood's character, Max, is talking to Jimmy, the idealistic sort of, like, labor union. And he's saying, our country's still young. There are some diseases it's better to get when you're young. And this is almost like Leone's reaching the end of his sort of, like, exploration of, like, the popular myth of America. Where he's sort of saying, well, look, this is where America is roughly where, where I leave it in the present day. Where it's this, like, corrupt, decaying, scandal-ridden, sort of monstrous societal thing where you know the ideal of like social like escaping or navigating or sort of like climbing through the social classes as represented by deborah through education through craft through skill through like learning and self-betterment is is completely gone because the world is run by people like noodles and max and jimmy and various other operators by secretary bailey the world is so ruined and horrific a place that you know people like deborah get raped in the back seat of a car which is an incredibly horrific way to make that point and the, it's, it's like, sorry I suppose you don't want to keep coming back to that but the driver as well like what well, this is interesting because again I watched I watched the four hour and ten minute cut the driver actually gets an extended scene in that he's actually credited in the opening credits um, he gets a sequence at the start before they go on the date where he talks to Noodles and he basically gives Noodles a little lecture about why why do you have to be this? Like, I, I do this job and I go to night school and I'm hoping to study and get a degree and get a qualification and get a professional job. And, you know, why do you have to do... And I think he actually says, like the Italians do. But, you know, this sort of like, why do you have to live down to the stereotype that you are? Um, 
And so that sort of sets up in some way the driver's, albeit very belated, intervention later in the in the sequence. Yeah, I mean, for for him to inter for him to intervene so um, uh, late and then be so disgusted. With, yes, where he won't take like, the money. Yeah, you like you either you either drive the car as an accomplice to a rape and take the money for doing it. Are you stop, stop the moment that it's happening, or yeah. the moment that she, it becomes it very clear? It's a strange it's sort of a because um, they want to make the point that like the driver doesn't approve of it. The driver like drove the car drove, for yeah. a good four minutes while it was happening. Yes. Yeah. What what what's going on here? Yeah, there's there is quite a bit of that where there's a sense of it's it, confusing. It is, it is very confusing and very muddled. But there's a weird, like... This ties back into, like, Leone's sort of style. Is that, like... He's talked about how he... The reason that he makes movies is not to capture the world as it is now. It's to capture it as it never could be. As it exists in the imagination. Uh, where he talks about, like, growing up with America. And it's, it's very telling that his best films are westerns and gangster stories. Which are very much, like the idealized, like, American kind of fantasy. And, like, we come back to that image repeatedly in this film that Darren loves of the sequence of characters standing on the shore staring, staring out at the ocean, albeit the Atlantic rather than the Pacific. Um, and you even get, like, that reference to Gatsby, where they have, like, where they're having dinner and they're looking out onto the jetty and light at the end of the jetty stretching out into an infinite ocean, which is something that's pulled, I think, directly from F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm. Um, there's a lot of that in there, a lot of the rich symbolism of, like, America and what America means and how America... And it, it's fascinating that, like, Leone is an Italian director. We've talked on the podcast about this before, where, like... When we talk about foreign films, we talk about films that are, like, Irish, which is ironic. Like, we talk about films that are not American, despite the fact that we're both Irish. Because we both grew up with American pop culture. And Leone's talked about this. Like, as a kid, he read comic books. He watched gangster movies. As an Italian, he just absorbed this American culture to the point where he felt like it resonated with him and like he understood it. And it's kind of, it's interesting to see that in his films where he reflects back a version of America that feels almost like a fantasia informed by all these like 30s gangster movies. And in fact, like there's a lot of the movie that feels like a silent film. We talked about the maternity ward sequence. Yeah. Like which is played with no dialogue. It's all it's all music playing in the background over these shots of characters, like the wonderful overhead shot of them sort of shimmying around or the sequence of cockeye threatening the the nurse for example. There's well, no you, dialogue. You see you see him sort of like um uh seducing her but in a very kind of overbearing way, but where she's kind of like um, giggling along right? yeah well there's a yeah that's another example of the same problem that we're getting he, like the he um cockeye the, like the actor playing cockeye is william play, forsyth william forsyth is playing it like a true monster and the uh, the actress reacting the to him is 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 re- like oh you yeah I don't know whether that's kind of like a direction um, or we, yeah whether 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 her motivation is so you're very excited because uh, the, the doctor is playing doctor and nurses with you or it's like you're very excited because this guy is being extremely aggressive to you and that's what you're into yeah there's a lot of that in the film it's really 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 deeply deeply uncomfortable um but I mean. 
I wonder if like that's like we talked about the film having a dreamlike quality. And I wonder... I, uh, speaking of dreamlike quality, I, I we've talked about a lot of the surreal kind of like points. We've mentioned a good few of them. Yeah. One we haven't mentioned is panpipes. There's a lot of diegetic panpipes. Yeah. <laughs> like um, just a car- ca- is it is it Coxie co- co- or is it Cockeye? I Cockeye. think it's Cockeye who, who like carries the plays panpipes pan all the time. <laughs> And then there's like there's there's panpipes playing kind of like during uh, a horrific shooting of the littlest gangster, <laughs> and, and then and then it looks he's over and time. and he he's holding the panpipe, so yeah. it's like, oh, that's him playing. That's not Morricone on they, the soundtrack. They missed a trick, by the way. I thought like okay, there's there, there there's five of them. One of them is going to get shot, but obviously not the little guy because he's going to grow up to be Joe Pesci. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Joe Pesci, who is billed fourth in the credits and appears in exactly two scenes of this three hour and 46 minute epic. What about the seven hour? And yeah, he had a much larger role in that. Seven like, hour and 86 minutes. God. Eight hour and 76 minutes. Nine hour and 156 minutes. But yeah, let's, let's talk. It's like Joe Pesci. Famously, Pesci wanted the role of Max uh, and Leone said no. Um... But apparently because he was close friends with De Niro, De Niro said, look, can you give him a role? And so Leone gave him the role of Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was. My, my voice went a bit hoarse. I but yeah. But like, so you have him playing this gangster who pops up for one scene with Burt Young and then appears later menacingly in a hospital getting a lift. And that's the end of his role in this movie. It's quite surreal. Does he and have he's a lot to do in the other versions? He's, he's, no. He's, he's fourth credited uh, on the opening and closing credits as well, which makes it somehow even more inexplicable. Um, keep in mind that this is before he won the Oscar for Goodfellas as well. So it makes it a very, very strange choice. And it plays into that weird dreamlike quality as well, because you're like, surely... Joe Pesci? Yeah, like, <laughs> surely that scene of Joe Pesci getting a lift in the hospital is going somewhere, right? I mean, like, surely there's a reason that this character is hanging around inside a hospital <laughs> where the characters have just left. We talk about crazy James Woods, because it's it, like... He's not crazy. I, I know a lot of people are quite down on and James, James Woods at the moment because of some of like his pronouncements and things. But can I just say, like, re- uh, re- regardless of, of of any of the, he he is fantastic and I love him. Yeah, like the, as a he, performer, he's amazing, amazing, um, amazing, and he plays crazy. So, like, even in things like The Specialist, like it's Sylvester entirely Sloan. unhinged yeah. performance. Like, you can tell that The Specialist <laughs> is a movie that I obviously like must have seen a lot because I feel like I've spoken about it more than once. But the the um. Uh, and and in 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 this scene in in this movie there 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 so much great James so Woods. so much great James Woods like where he's telling her to like um get uh, get out yeah 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 he's like ah oh, I've got a real way with women don't I ha <laughs> and um, or, or the bit, the and bit where, where like they're having like, dinner and don't call me crazy yeah they're having breakfast <laughs> in Miami and he shatters like Robert De Niro's glass of tomato like, juice and he's um, like don't call me crazy for thinking <laughs> the crazy thing here's what we do now. <laughs> yeah, we robbed. We robbed the Federal Reserve. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think that's kind of crazy. Don't call me crazy. <laughs> don't call me crazy. It's, don't it's, ever say that. Yeah, it's, it's like I feel like he, if this was a like red line, it smashes the glass out of his hand as he's saying like nothing don't. says I'm not crazy like smashing a glass of tomato juice out of your hand. 
Let's talk about Max a little bit. Let's talk about Max and Noodles a little bit. Because this is the bit where we're getting back to getting screwed in the ass, Andrew. Because if you were to ask me what Once Upon a Time in America is about, I would give the answer, and you're going to appreciate this. The answer is dicks. Once Upon a Time in America is all about the dicks. There's, like, repeated references to penises. There's a lot of stuff. There, there is a scene where they're shaking down the this, like, the, the police news. sergeant. Yeah. And, and, and two people lose their virginity. In the background. In, in the background of the scene. Like, and they're blackmailing a police officer. While blackmailing a police officer. And they're taking in turns to, like, briefly lose their virginity. Yeah. It's, but there's a lot of this, like, and even the scenes that don't directly involve... Or with ben- Betty, yeah. When she comes in and 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 he's like, he's like, oh, do you like it? And yeah. she's like, oh, it, it, it's it's it, it's all right. It's not like the best I've seen. Yeah, but and there's there's even like scenes like the sequence where they're setting fire to the newsstand. The way in which that shot, because obviously they like gas, they throw gasoline all over the news, and then were they, they, they kissing on it first? No, no, they weren't. It's just shot that way, um, because then the camera pans up to show that they actually have little canisters of gasoline that they're just holding at waist level and sprinkling all over it. There's and the the the, the, the golden the new, shower the that they give to Jimmy. Owner. Hey, kids, not too much gasoline. <laughs> Yeah. Don't there, you put too much gasoline on my newspapers. But there, there's a lot it's of... It's like, hey, <laughs> don't burn. No. <laughs> there's also, like, ch- police chief uh, Ayala and his insistence with, like, having Ayala. a son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and when, he sees the, when he sees the vagina, he's like, what <laughs> the f- is this? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> there's also the moment where he meets, he, his, he meets he, his wife for the first time after the baby's born while his daughters are in the room, but the audience doesn't realise like, the daughters are in the room. He's like, have you seen his dick yet? Have <laughs> um, you like, seen that dick? And he goes to her, he's like, oh, there'll be no problem feeding them with that milk factory. <laughs> and then only later in the scene do you realise that his realize four adorable daughters are there but, and then and then he turns around to him and says um he basically says uh, the four of you don't mean nothing anymore because yeah. <laughs> i got a son yeah. and, it's, and it's like um oh he, he no he looks just like his granddad what is this crease <laughs> what is this nonsense this isn't a schlong. What is it? What even is this? I have never seen one of these before. Yeah, there's another moment, like like early on, like when they're in the bathroom. Or sorry, when when obviously when um, when Noodles is peering in on Deborah, and somebody comes in to use the bathroom, it's very clear that he's peeing. So you know that he has a penis. The movie's very clear that even this random character who you've never met before and never will meet again has a penis. Like during the fight sequence in the alleyway, they make a point to punch Max in the, in the penis. Yeah. <laughs> punch him. In the dick. Yeah. There's a moment later on where, when like Noodles is visiting the grave of like Patsy and you know um, and and Cockeye and whoever the poor soul is they buried as Max, where to get into the tomb he has to push a woman's buttocks. There's like a lot of really weird Freudian like sexual sort of stuff. It's my there. kind of movie. Yeah, I know. well, this is why I said I knew that you'd love that I described it as a movie all about the dick, Andrew, because it, it is. There's like, and then let's talk about. Max, I'm, I'm not. I, 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 would, you wouldn't describe me as someone who's all about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate. That's uh, a fair that. description of the situation that we're in. But yeah, because um, there's a lot of like, and this is one of the things when you talk about the movie having a dreamlike quality to it. There's Do you a- mean like Andrew, famous for his? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Famous for his schwanz. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah. um, 
Go on. And the cock insurance story, which is like the moment of cock the film insurance. where they have the nexus of like Joe Pesci and Burt Young, who are two of the most recognizable supporting performers in the film, who are together for one scene where they're talking about insuring dicks. Like and, and this like recurring fascination with Max's impotence. I imagine I imagine Burt Young um uh when 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 he leaves the set, like you remember in in Father Ted's, the 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 um the character not not played by Pat Short, by the other unbelievable, the host of the um of the song John the song Kenny, for Ireland, John like, Kenny, yeah. yeah, where like backstage he looks just atrocious, <laughs> and and then <laughs> he goes out on stage. And 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 he he's like this wonderful kind of like polished performer. Yeah. I imagine Bert Young is the opposite. <laughs> like he spends hours in in the makeup trailer, like trying to get him look like absolute crap, in order to pull off the sequence where he eats. Am I he... going to eat this sandwich? <laughs> Jeez, even the Jews couldn't eat this. <laughs> it's like uh, cameras aren't rolling yet. It's like oh, no. I'm getting into character. Yeah, I'm getting into the mood. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like. Can someone tell Bert to stop eating that sandwich? <laughs> we need it for the shot. But yeah, like Parmesan. <laughs> oh my, um, this certainly won't do. But yeah, like, okay, let's also talk about Max, and particularly Max's relationship to noodles, because there's a lot of Freudian stuff going on here with Max and noodles. The moment Max is introduced to noodles, like where they have their little meat cute. Where they do like the 725 o'clock. Because, you know, 725, the watch was stolen. But it's like, uh, Max is All like... All that sort of stuff is, is, is well written. I'm surprised that you, you, you don't like the writing in this movie. Uh, well, I mean, okay, I'll give you an example of the stuff that I thought was rather... Like, the stuff that, that like, provides exposition but doesn't feel particularly organic. It's the moment, like, where they're driving the car after having killed uh, the brother played by Burt Young. Where they're like... How come you didn't tell me? Being as I can change it. I'd already made the deal with Frankie to get rid of Joe. With a man like Frankie Minaldi, you don't say yes and then say no. I cannot take the chance to change your mind. You understand? Well, you were right. I would have said no. Frankie Minaldi is as big as they come. He's got the combination in the palm of his hand. If we're not careful, he's going to have us in the palm of his hand. You don't get nowhere alone. I thought you were the guy that said you didn't like bosses. It sounded like a good idea then. It still is. Feels very arch to me. No? I don't know. I think that's characterization. Okay. But anyway, so, like, the sequence where Max and Noodles are introduced, like, Max is like, drop your pants and I'll stick it to you again. Which is one the first of the movies getting it stuck in the ass reference. Oh, no, because earlier on you have the little the littlest gangster who sings a little song uh, to, like, the Orthodox Jews about how he's getting it stuck in the ass. You have, uh... Stop right there! Hey, you! Yeah! I'm talking to you! What the hell are you kids doing here? Huh? What are we kids doing here? We're getting it up the ass. Yeah, getting screwed. Is there a law against it? Can you spare a dime before poor little fish against that just get, get out up the ass? Go. Come on, get out of here. Come on, get off the street. Come on, get out of here. Get off the street. Go ahead. But don't come back. There's a, yeah, the movie's recurring. If you're going to stick it in my ass, you better get it hard first. Oh, all right. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, you just wait. But and it's like, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. It is just, just kind of like, what? Is, is this the way people talk? <laughs> 
this is totally normal, right? <laughs> right? This is how people behave. But like, there's this really fascinating, like, homoerotic subtext in the relationship between Max and Noodles, which kind of plays into the whole toxic masculinity thing, and also plays into the weird, like, Sergio Leone's attitude towards women. Like, there's the moment, like, Max is incredibly jealous of Deborah. Like, it's played throughout the film that, like, Max is incredibly, like awkward around Deborah, and it's also hilarious how oblivious Noodles is to that fact there's the moment where Noodles and Deborah are together and Max shows up and he sort of cock blocks him you know it's like I saw you go in there with Ball Buster so I figured it would be a nice time for me to interrupt and say we need to do this thing together just the two of us you know guys who enjoy each other's company and stuff like that or the moment where you know where they're in the water and like Noodles is like where's Max where's Max and Max leans over the edge of the boat and it looks as if they're about to kiss there's the moment, like, what would you do without me, Max teases. Like, there's the fact that Max is never seen without a cigar. It's, also, it's not only his lover, but it's also his mother. Yeah, as well, yeah. The Deborah's like your mother's calling as well, if you want to get perfectly Freudian there. The fact that Max is always seen with a cigar in his mouth. And the moment, like, there's the one where, uh, you know... They, they take each other's dicks out, like, and, 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 and <laughs> like, they all, uh, all four of them have their dicks out. And, and they say... Um, let's let's pour out a dick for the littlest gangster as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's 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 hold our dicks for a moment in in, 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 in memory our, of our for uh, of our, our lost friends. friend. Yeah, but yeah, and there's even like the bit where um was it uh, where, where 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 but the best thing is noodles is completely oblivious to Max's weird sort of like homoerotic like attraction to him like cuz uh, you have the sequence where Max is up on the roof with with the with the girl with the prostitute and he can't get it up he's impotent he's completely like he's unable to concentrate you know and and basically like after noodles has done it like there's this recurring motif throughout the film of Max sleeping with oh, yeah. women Max doesn't want to <laughs> Only after He doesn't Noodles. want to screw. Yeah, he doesn't want to screw, as Carol puts it at one point. But he only wants to sleep with women after Noodles has slept with them, which is really, really weird. Obviously, the turn that they take with the prostitute after the police officer, but then obviously, like, after Carol has been raped by, by you know, by Noodles. Yeah. Um, there's also the weird sequence where after Noodles stumbles in from, like, the opium den, where it's not entirely clear how long he's been gone for. It's been long enough that they've broken up a strike, but it's also not so long that, you know, Cockeye went only went looking for him once. It's really it's really weird, but somehow, like, in that time, Carol, who was, like, only having sex with James Woods at one scene previously as sort of integrating herself into the group, but you have Max having this weird conversation about Carol with Noodles, where he's like... You live with her, you bring her here, and you tell me not to mess with broads. <laughs> You're forgetting about one thing. What's that? I don't give a Listening. about her. Max. Max. Shut up! Max. Shut up! Shh. Hey, Maxie, tell me something. What are you going to spend your honeymoon on? A cat house? Maxie, you shut the... Listening. Oh, shut up! Just shut up! You want me to dump her? You want me to kick her? Listening. Get ass out of here. You want to punch and tuck us, huh? Want me to kick your ass out of what? You want me to kick? Get the... Listening. Out. Get the... Listening. Out. Get out. And it, it's a really strange... It doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. It's you I love. Yeah. Screw it's... me up the ass. <laughs> no. <Noodles. laughs> These are really weird. Like, <laughs> and, they, and Kaka and Patsy are just kind of like looking at each other, thinking, 
Well, there's, what? A, what? Huh? there's a really <laughs> great moment where, like, where after they're talking about, like, because, like, when, when Noodles comes in, there's, like, Max is like, uh, look who's here. Look who bothered to show up today. And they're having this sort of back and forth. And then Cockeye decides to wade in. And he's like, oh, I found him at an opium den. And I shook him. Is and it the Patsy only, or Cockeye? I think, oh, maybe it's Patsy. But it, I thought it was Cockeye. But it's one of them chimes in and says, look, I found him in an opium den. And all he did was look at me and call me Deborah. And Max is like, shut the hell up. This is between me and noodles um, and, and Mo was like <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> yeah. how could this possibly relate to me funny yeah. <laughs> that's my sister yeah. wow oh, would you like a cup of coffee a, a cup of coffee yeah make... like, hey thank you hey thank you for that coffee <laughs> now let's uh, thank you for your sister a little bit yeah savor this experience but yeah, yeah there's this... and then later in the movie it's like hey Aren't you going to offer me a drink? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know what? It, it's great to see you. Out of all the friends I've ever had who raped my sister, you're the fondest. You're my personal favorite. Yeah. yeah there's this weird thing. How rude of me not to, not to offer you a drink. But th- there is this sort of back and forth. I feel a klutz. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I-, I feel really bad that I thought you took yeah. the money. That uh, time where I was beaten to within an inch of my life. And because you, ran- you ratted us all out. And you ran off and left me for dead. Yeah. Uh, it was me who was inconsiderate not getting you the drink. It's like, I'm not going to help you. Because then it'll look like... <laughs> yeah, I want them to know why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is my personal. It has favorite. to look like I did it. <laughs> yeah. So you you, you, you just you, lie you just in a there. You okay, by the way? He's like, hey, do you want any money? <laughs> and it's like, uh, actually, no, I'm okay for money, but thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I appreciate you asking. It doesn't say like anything you could do with, <laughs> like while you're lying there bleeding, dying, presumably on the ground. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like really weird stuff, and then obviously like uh, Max, Max is this weird, like transforming himself into noodles in a way. Like, and again, this is where I wonder, like, is it like a Freudian dream thing where like Max is basically like noodles if noodles had no sense of shame? Because it's heavily, the film seems to imply that maybe noodle sabotages himself in some way because he feels guilty about raping deborah perhaps but not really because we don't talk about it that much and we're meant to feel sorry for him he definitely feels guilty but he doesn't he never he never apologizes and he seems to talk to her as if as if he never did anything wrong yeah yeah but there's also this thing that runs through yeah it's very bizarre but there's also this sense that noodles does feel guilty about something in the second half of the film even if he doesn't admit it where like max is is like talking to to noodles after it becomes clear the prohibition is going to be repealed and he's like you'll be carrying the stink of the streets with you for the rest of your life and noodles response is i like the stink of the streets it makes me feel good i like the smell of it it opens my lungs and because this is this particular movie and we're all about the dick it gives me a hard on yeah the stink of the streets gives me a hard on which tells you everything that you need to know about this movie. There's also a wonderful scene later on where Noodles tells it's like Ma- you, you, um, it's like it, it, like for middle-aged, for middle-aged men who, who are, who are have, having problems, erectile dysfunction, with, with erectile dysfunction. It's like, do you still, can you still get uh, aroused in the morning? Does the stink of the street give you a hard on? If, 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 if it does, <laughs> if, yeah. No, if 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 
if if the stink of the street doesn't give you a hard on, then like consult your doctor. <laughs> doctor. Um, yeah, but and and even the bit where like there's where Noodle says to Max, "Everywhere you go, I go too." While Max lights his cigar, like there's there's a lot of really weird, like creepy, very heavy sexualized sort of imagery in this as well. But there's a sense that Noodles wants there's very weird sexual uh, homoerotic imagery in this. Up the ass for days. <laughs> yeah, it's very and it's it's so committed to it as well, which is absolutely fascinating. It's like it's completely all in, and I feel like it's very clearly like it's all in the ass. <laughs> it's all in the ass. But like, this, this is a very blue uh, uh, podcast episode. But I mean, to be fair, it's not as if like the the movie that we're discussing. Yeah, is if any- anyone's seen this movie, like they'll they'll <laughs> they, I don't they'll, think they'll be they'll be glad. To I guess listen to something that's just a bit ribald and not like genuinely harrowing. Yeah, in response. But yeah, there's this weird sense in the second half of the film that Noodles feels guilty about like something implied to be his rape of Deborah, and that he wants to pay for it. Like he's more guilty because he he betrayed his one true love, which is Max. But I mean, I feel. But even before that, there's a sense that when he's betraying Max. It's as much like, you know, it's it's he justifies it in terms of the narrative, in terms of stopping Max from robbing the Federal Reserve, which, by the way, is an absolutely insane plot development. I feel that like it's crazy. I yeah. Feel, it's, it's like right. all of a sudden he's Goldfinger. Yeah. It's like you, we, the movie is so insane at points that you miss these smaller transitions where like James Woods is like, so prohibition's over, right? What have you always wanted to do? I've never mentioned it before in the course of the two hours and 46 minutes that we've been talking, but I've always wanted to rob the Federal Reserve. But if you would allowed me to yeah. develop on what I mean by that, what I mean is we should go into politics <laughs> and we should find a way of defrauding the federal government. After faking our death somehow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's... A lot in this movie that does, that has this sort of weird dreamlike logic to it. But I like that like Max is all of a sudden out of nowhere like, you know, well, look, I have a million stashed away. On my bucket list is robbing the Federal Reserve. And there's a moment where like when Carol and Max are, sorry, when Carol and Noodle are talking about it, like they're like, well, he's, you know, he's talking about taking hostages. He's talking about like times. And it's like you see none of this in the film, which is already three hours and 46 minutes long. But it, it, it makes it seem like new, like, like Max has been working on this in his little drawing room for the better part of 20 years and has only now decided that this is going to show. Oh, I have models. It's like I have little models and, uh, you know, I've invited all of the top mob families to visit this presentation that I'm about to give. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre and bonkers and I kind of admire it because it's it's completely off the wall it feels like a fever dream at times yeah and I think that 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 plays very very well because a lot of the imagery in this is absolutely beautiful and a lot of the stuff is a lot of there's a wonderful sense of poetry to the film as well like you have obviously the repeated lines of like oh your mother's calling for example or Max like looking at you know obviously Noodles and Deborah together and very clearly feeling jealous like when Noodles gets out of prison for the first time there's a wonderful moment where he's talking to Deborah and he's like oh did Max tell you I got out and you're like Noodles you you really can't read this situation can you but you have this shot of like Max standing in the doorway looking at Noodles and, and feeling sort of and very clearly looking shot out you have like the moment earlier on where he interrupts Deborah and, and Noodles like when they're having that intimate moment and there's a lot of that stuff in there there's the want to go swimming the recurring line that sort of suggests this like 
innocence, this almost innocent bond that they had as children that has kind of held them together as they've grown up, you know, like when they, they take out the, yeah. uh, when they take the car. It's men, men, men go swimming and all their, 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 all their sins wash away. Yeah. All, but, but then all their shorts are wet when they get <laughs> out of it. So they have to change out of those shorts. So they have to go somewhere where people won't see them changing, but also people won't see other things that happen. This is, this, the, 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 there, 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 there's something very kind of, um, in, in, in this movie, when, whenever, whenever they say, let's go swimming, <laughs> it kind of, um, undercurrent you, you, it's kind of like something else is going <laughs> on there. there yeah. Definitely. And, it, and it's not just Joe Pesci getting a lift, no. which is again, one of the great scene closing sequences in the film, because you have James Woods, you have Max following Noodles downstairs. Like, we had an argument upstairs. I feel like maybe we should broach it. And the scene ends with Joe Pesci wearing a hat. It's, again... And again, I, the film is absolutely beautiful. It has this wonderful dreamlike quality. There's a moment, like, when they assassinate Burt Young's character, where they chase a guy into... It must be a cotton mill, I'm assuming? But where the guy is, like, washed up in all this fabric and he gets shot and killed in there. And it I just thought it looks... was all going to turn red. Yeah. But, it, uh, yeah... It didn't. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of like it has this and and the scene transitions as well because this is notably one of the few Morricone movies. I think it's sorry, not the few Morricone movies, but one of the only the only movies that uses like contemporary music. And obviously, like Yesterday, for example, well, is one of them. It's, that... it's, no, it's it's because uh, um, it's a movie that's partly set in 1968, and I think Yesterday is 1965. So there, there's like sounds from the movie, like the telephone ringing, um, or um, or certain other things like that, that go through different kind of like decades of the movie that that are in the prohibition era, in the kind of what the 1900s or where where, where would does have the been movie my, start? I think it would probably have to start around 1910, say 1915, right? Because it, it, the he gets out of prison roughly 1921, and he's a gangster from 1921 to 1933. To 33, yeah. yeah, when prohibition is repealed. Yeah, so it would have but, to be sometime. And then and then the end of the movie is in 1968. Yeah, so it, it's just after yesterday, yeah. like like a few years after. So like they, they they I I feel like it's it's not it's not like I think it it is a contemporary version of it but yeah. that they're using like a a song that makes uh sense in the context of the setting of the movie. Yeah. But I mean I mean in terms of it has like a pop a pop song in it pretty much. Like yeah. I mean it also has like Nat King Cole as well during the 1930s section as well if I remember correctly. I think he it's uses, Cole Porter. It's Cole Porter, apologies. He and used, they have a Irving Berlin as well. Yes, uh, God Bless America, which opens the movie and recurs again at the climax where James Woods maybe or maybe not throws himself into the back of a garbage truck. Because again, <laughs> yeah, because again, this is like the dreamlike logic in which this operates. Apparently they only shot that scene with a stunt double. Um, so that even James Woods can't answer what exactly happened behind there. Um, and apparently but he the stunt double like <laughs> was his family compensated <laughs> after the fact but yeah there's, there's this and like the movie skips and jumps through time in a way that it was terrible there was just lettuce everywhere <laughs> um, James Woods on inside the actor's <laughs> studio <laughs> but the, the movie jumps through. Can we let's talk about the transitions in the film because they're absolutely beautiful and they're very elegant and they're very dreamlike logic. They're not very clear cuts. They're like 
this feels in many ways like an older movie than it is. It feels, a lot of the movie feels like it could have been made in the 70s era or even in the 60s. As opposed to in 1984. Well, it's not like... It's not a very 1984 director. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Because Sergio Leone, like, is... is Late is, 60s. Yeah, and just about to die. Yeah. Like, so so it's not like, kind of like, this captured the 80s. Or yeah, anything. well, okay, yeah, like like Martin Scorsese doing Wolf of Wall Street or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is something very interesting in that because it, it feels... Like, one of the things about Once Upon a Time in America is, and it reminds me of that joke that you made when we talked about The General, where people would be like, well, who do you prefer, Buster Keating or Charlie Chaplin? And you always have somebody who goes, well, Harold Lloyd is very clearly the right answer here. Once Upon a Time in America sort of reminds me of that because it's that answer to the gangster film movie. It's like, what is your favorite gangster film movie? Ever? The difficult one. Yeah. Is it Godfather? Is it Godfather Part 2? Is it Goodfellas? Is it even Casino? And, you know, there'll always be somebody who'll go, no, 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 no. Once Upon a Time in America is clearly a better gangster movie than The Godfather. And I I see what they're getting at, but I, I can't... I can't quite, it feels like a deliberately contrarian answer. How very nineties of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you big hipster. <laughs> but it, it does it feels very much like this like this feels like the sort of the sophisticated cinephile's answer to what is the best gangster movie ever. Um, but it, it's absolutely beautiful. Let's talk about the scene transitions. Let's talk about how the movie transitions through time. Because it, it moves... We have in, another, what, two hours? <laughs> on this podcast to fail. But it has a very lyrical quality to it. Like the, the wonderful transition with the mirror. So where it jumps the first time from like 1933 um, to 1968. Where, where he's in it's central... It's like a painting. Yeah. Where he's, where he's in, looking at the kind of visit Coney Island. Yeah. And then the mirror is there and then he steps in front of the mirror and all of a sudden the music changes to yesterday and he's old. Um, and, and it's, and it's actually quite good old makeup. It, it is movie. throughout as well. Yeah. The, even the, um, the James when Woods. When you watch movies these days, <laughs> and they do old, uh, old makeup, um, like, like, like in the Harry Potter movies. That was atrocious. Well, luckily enough, that one Harry Potter film happens to be on the list. So there's a good chance we can talk about that old age makeup there. But yeah, a lot of the modern old age makeup is is of the more is more variety. I think the old age makeup works here because it's rather minimalist at times. They dye the hair grey. They add a lot of wrinkles around the eyes. They and, take back the hairline. Yeah, which is, is very nice and very, very effective as well. I think like... It's, if, it's, 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 it's funny as well because like... Um, um, part 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 of when they're showing an older Robert De Niro, it's like, well, this is just older Robert De Niro. I cannot distinguish <laughs> between <laughs> between current Robert De Niro and An aged Robert, aged De Niro. Robert De Niro in this movie, which so is they, very they good. Age. It. Yeah, yeah, it's like your makeup department, and they do the same with James Woods. James Woods seems quite similar to how he is now. Yeah. It's, Probably slightly less crazy in the movie, but you know it's 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 very good. <laughs> um, don't ever call him that, Andrew. Don't ever call him that. But like it, it happens throughout that the movie doesn't transition. Hey, come on, James Woods was on The Simpsons. Yeah, like he he he, he deserves a certain amount of pop credit. Certain amount of credit. But yeah, there's a lot of really great, um, like in terms of how the story is told, how it moves, sort of like almost like an oral story, and it makes sense that like. Uh, 
the joke being that the movie didn't have a script for the first seven years that Leone wanted to make it. All he would do is he would just tell people shot for shot how he was going to make it. The film feels like you're somebody telling you a story. It does that thing where it jumps backwards and forwards in time, where you don't begin at the beginning. You begin with the big event and you go, and then happens, and then you explain. It's got this sort of like ebb and flow to it, which is very impressive which holds up very very well where it's not like even in the godfather part two you're clearly delineate between you have two timelines that are moving in parallel whereas with this you you tend to go up and go down a bit you like you you jump from 1933 to 1968 to like 1906 yeah and there's a sense for me anyway that like a lot of the things in the movie um, didn't happen or didn't happen the way they were understood to have happened. Yeah. Or as noodles is, is remembering them or choosing to remember them. Because again, I think, I think you're right. Like, Again, I think the new, this is all Noodles' fever dream in an opium den is an overly not, literal interpretation. It's not just a fever dream either. It's, uh, he had an overdose and died. Yeah, and this was his vision before this going. Is, this, this is, is like the last afterlife where he's reliving <laughs> different versions of what his life m- might have Could been. Could possibly have been. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah, by the way, there's one of them where you didn't murder your best friend and he actually tried to... Yeah. Mur- he, he, he murdered you in a way by forcing you to live this life of limitless potential. But don't worry in in yeah this is it, like punishment every 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 version of his life has the thing that happened just before he died. Yeah. So yeah like look forward to that. <laughs> and it, 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 like it's a weird thing though because like as we say it's not that apparent how guilty he feels about this. Yeah, which is weird and it's not even like apparent that he feels guilty about that one thing. Like it it's like, because I, I do think that when he decides to sell his friends down the river, which, by the way, is a really crappy thing to do to Cockeye and, and Patsy. Yeah. Like, they, like <laughs> why do it to them? Yeah. Just take them aside and say robbing the Federal Reserve is probably not a good idea. Like, let Max maybe do it on his own time. Or just get Max arrested by himself. I know that this is one of those, like, we're in this together, so maybe get yourself and Max arrested. It feels like dragging Cockeye and Patsy into it is a bit uh, bit mean-spirited, really. Yeah. But, I mean, there's this sense playing through it that, like, part of what motivates him to do that is a sense of guilt as much as, like, trying to protect Max. In that he... You know, maybe he wants to go back to prison because he feels like he belongs there or something. But the film never articulates yeah, it clearly. Cockeye and Patsy get a bad deal either <laughs> e- either way you look at it. Yeah. Because either, either, either Noodle was like, I'm going to sell us all down the river, including Cockeye <laughs> and Patsy, who have no awareness of this at all. Yeah. Or um, they, they get murdered. Yeah. Along with some other guy. Some poor random guy. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't really... Um, like, again, the film is very anchored in Noodles' perspective. It's a film about Noodles and everybody else... The police else... were in on it as well, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Oh, and so the syndicate. Like, hey, police. Um, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you, have you been told, like, the broad outlines of what's happening this evening? So, yeah, we're, we're going to be murdering some friends of mine. But also, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's Bob. Say hi to Bob. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's there's, there's a quite a great deal of that. Like, there's a sense, in a way, that the entire you movie... throw a Molotov cocktail <laughs> at him. Yeah. The police. <laughs> hey, 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 police. 
<laughs> get out one of those flamethrowers <laughs> that you and the police have <laughs> and set this guy on fire with it. Oh, don't worry. The syndicate probably provided that one. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lot of like really, really weird stuff that happens over the course of the film. It feels almost like the entire film is like noodles. You know that first in that Chinese shadow theater that you see at the start? Yeah. Where you see like the shadows and the shapes, almost like Plato's cave. But this idea that like the entire world exists for Noodle's amusement and moral contempl- contemplation. And, and Carol's... That was, that was a Donald Duck moment. Yeah. <laughs> but it exists entirely for Noodle's, like, moral contemplation. Which is what makes the scenes, like, the scenes with Deborah feel so particularly horrible. Because the film doesn't feel like it invests in any way, shape, or form in Deborah as a character outside of what Noodle's does to her. And why that makes Noodle's feel bad. Sometimes, maybe, possibly, um, and it's it's this weird moral vacuum that the exists movie at the ends center of the him film. Smiling, yeah, it's like that's all that matters, really. Because opium, yeah. Also, also because in the future he'll do the right thing and choose not to murder his best friend. It's like, I don't, um, I don't, I don't need, I don't need revenge to be happy. Um, I, 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 I'll. I'll return to the life I was living, except now I have a million dollars. <laughs> You're not so getting So I don't back. need revenge, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's the moment where, like, where, like, Max says to him in their final confrontation, when you're betrayed by a friend, you hit back. Do it. And there's this weird sense that the entire movie is building to the moral argument that Noodles is a good person because if the film has contrived to construct a scenario where he is not responsible for murdering his best friend, is responsible for possibly getting helping get two of his best friends murdered, but we don't really care about those. But he's the better man because when confronted with being screwed over by his best friend, he just walks away with a million dollars. I feel like in the movie, kind of, there, there, there is an extent to which Noodle isn't a bad person and the extent is to which, or at least he's not Max. At least he can still have sex with women. Yeah. Like, um, like he, 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 he always has like an appetite for it. That's the big kind of uh, complaint that, 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 that Max has. That, that, no, women have that, about Max. Yeah, that women have about Max is that, is that he doesn't like have sex with them. Yeah, um, otherwise he's a completely cool and which rational... Is, which, 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 yeah, which, like, by the way, Max, have sex with those women. It'll probably help you get off that noodle fixer. Noodle solid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the film has a lot of, like, really questionable attitudes towards women. But, and I feel, I feel like maybe we've been, like, a bit harsh, because it is an absolutely beautiful film. It's filled with memorable images, like the wonderful shots of New York, um... Like, oh yeah! Like those beautiful shots of the Brooklyn Bridge, sort of caught between the two buildings as like the kids are walking, led by the littlest gangster. Um, <laughs> like the scene where they're marching through, it's like it's on the cover of the DVD. It's an iconic shot. It's absolutely stunning, and the film does this repeatedly, where the characters come back to the same physical spaces in different times. Yeah. So, for example, the alleyway outside and Fat Moe's. Moe's. Yeah. Yeah. And the layout of the bar the and indoors, stuff like that. yeah. And even, yeah, you're right, the indoors, the room that used to be the syndicate lead where, you know, now it's just the guest bedroom. That sort of thing. There's a lot of that really nice sort of sense of how times have changed. Or even the sen- the locker in, in Grand Central Station. Yeah. Where you visit at, like, ver- like- at three times where, like... A funny place to put... <laughs> a million bucks, really. Yeah. yeah. 
just like in 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 a like a gym locker. <laughs> I, I really like that when Max stole the money, at, like in 1933 when he was faking his own death, he made a point to replace it with newspapers so that, you know, whoever opened it wouldn't realize it had been stolen until 30 seconds later when they opened the briefcase. I like, I, 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 I like the noodle opens it, <laughs> looks at the newspaper, kind of looks around, lifts up the newspaper, then checks again. Then, like, reads the newspaper from front to back. <laughs> and then it's like... And then, like... There's no money. Kind of, like, goes back, checks again. Still no money? Yeah. <laughs> it's dawning on him so slowly. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's a great moment, because it's like, oh. <laughs> There's a newspaper here. Who put this newspaper on top of my I money? there was supposed to be a million dollars. I suppose the million dollars must be... Under underneath the this newspaper maybe oh, it was very maybe more newspapers what newspaper is this oh is this also a newspaper i'm starting to think there won't be a million dollars underneath the all these newspapers but hey i wonder what doonesbury's getting up to this week yeah but yeah there's there's uh there's but again that's the wonder the film luxuriates in its moments and its shots in ways that are hey, prohibitions over yeah <laughs> that's had not occurred to me there's some really great coverage in there i feel like their political desk isn't quite as good as their foreign affairs desk but their social coverage is just fantastic what now <laughs> what now for illegality <laughs> what next for illegality <laughs> like our our, our our business supplements um, <laughs> talks about opportunities for bootleggers yeah. um, have you thought about the Teamsters uh, is the question I, l- I love Jimmy I love Treat Williams as Jimmy which is in one of his first roles and again introduced with another penis urinating substitute where he's covered in gasoline by a giant hose as well but yeah you know that Leone would demand was it fi- between 59 and 60 takes of particular scenes that's you, 59 and 60 dicks. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't counted the number of dicks that appear in this film. But yeah, like Leone was a very, obviously very exacting director. Famously, uh, Marconi had actually written this, because the film took so long to produce, mm-hmm. Marconi had actually written most of the music that appears in the film before it was actually, before the film was complete. So he would actually play the music from the scenes over the scenes as they were shooting them, which is very similar to what they would do with silent movies. And there's a lot of sequences in the film that play almost like silent movie scenes. where you can, And we talked about the maternity ward sequence being one of them. But like there are other sequences, like at the start, it's almost 20 minutes before you get a proper dialogue sequence. You get a lot of, uh, you know, the gangsters and goons interrogating people. But after that, there's a very long, like, 20-minute-esque wordless sequence where, you know, he goes to Grand Central Station, he realises that the money's not there... He ages, he comes back, he converses with Fat Mo over the phone, but you don't hear either side of the conversation. You just watch it through windows. There's this recurring motif of voyeurism, actually, that recurs to the film. So the um, the wonderful shot, obviously, of uh, the... And, and again, it's telling that, like, when many of these transitions take place, they take place either through mirrors or through viewing holes. So you have, for example, characters standing in front of mirrors, framed in front of mirrors. And again, this sense that the entire film exists to reflect 
Noodles back onto himself. But you have, like, this idea of, like, Noodles watching Deborah dance, for example. You have this, the camera watching characters have conversations from outside windows. You have this... There are four um, kind of monitors in... um, In Max's study. In Bailey's study, In Bailey's study. The cubbyhole through which uh, Cockeye spots Carol, for example. The fact that Carol's husband likes to watch her have sex and stuff like that. And I, I, like, I wonder what the film is saying. Is this making a commentary on the fact that these are gangster stories and that we are being inherently voyeuristic when we watch them? Like, what, what is the film? Is this about, like, reflecting America back at itself through culture? There's a lot of, like, really sophisticated, like, allegorical imagery in terms of how Leone tells his story. A lot of care and attention paid to, like, the visuals and the motifs and stuff. And some of them, like, I wonder, like, what is the voyeurism getting at beyond the fact that cinema is inherently voyeuristic? The first one. Okay, so it, it is, like, we are, we are, we are, like, peering into this world. Yes. Uh, is what it's suggesting. Thank you very much, Andrew. Yes, thanks. Uh, and and the, the same thing, then, with the reflections. Because you have, that's the moment where Noodles, you talked about Noodles revealing himself to be an absolute little sociopath. Where he's talking to the other kids like, one of these days I'm going to have to give her what she wants. He's saying that while standing in front of a mirror in the middle of the street. And so you have this idea of Noodles' self-image. And this idea of masculinity and this idea of how he's built himself up to be this thing. Or how he sort of projects this. How he reacts, how he acts around Deborah is very different from how he acts around Max or how he acts around, you know, Cockeye or or Patsy. But it's very much informed by how he wants them to see him. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I think there's something in there. I think there's something very fascinating about this idea of performance in there. Sort of like of this idea of Leone telling a story in some way about stories, about like gangster films and how they're informed by one another. And again, part of me wonders how much of that is down to like, can you watch this movie without thinking of The Godfather? And sort of like, because again, you have The Godfather 2 having similar sort of like back and forth sequences. Let's like, talk about the entire movie of The Godfather and then see <laughs> how that compares. Uh, to this film in to, particular. To, to this film. All right. So in, uh, and I suppose we would re- be remiss if we didn't talk about Godfather Part 2. I mean, that would just be terrible. So in, in The Godfather, Michael Corleone um, and, 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 and his Fredo... And Sonny. Okay, and, Andrew. And Vito. Is, and is there anything else that you would like to talk thing, about? Not a thing, Okay. Sorry. I, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I guess there's I, only one thing left to do then. No, I, 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 I mean, no. I, there's some bad prop blood, I guess. The, it's, yeah, the bit where they shoot. Well, first of all, the sequence that start where they shoot Eve. And then at the end where they shoot Jimmy. Yeah. And it's it's like syrup. It's very clearly like lumpy and uh, stringy. Yeah, it's paint. It's like kind of like weird red red paint. We yeah. know we know that blood doesn't look like that firsthand. Yeah. Um, thank you, Andrew. So I guess the only thing left to do then is but, to yeah, pick... that was the only thing I wanted to say. <laughs> what <laughs> is is that the only thing that you wanted to say? No. no. Uh, yes. 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 Okay. In the meantime, if uh, people are looking for a bit more Andrew in their lives, or if there's something that you particularly like to plug, please let us know. Well, I'm Akuniuka on uh, Twitter. Um, I-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A. And uh, check out Opium Dance. Darren. 
Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. I write at the movie blog, and I also podcast occasionally with the Scanlon crowd for your weekly hit of Irish and international news. Um, you can follow to the 250 at, at the 250 on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are available. If you like it, tell everyone. If you don't like it, tell us. Take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye.